Welcome to the Valley Hub Stories podcast. I'm your host, Penny Coulter. This episode has been recorded on Gumbangia country with my guest today traveling from Dongodi. It is a privilege to meet in this space and acknowledge the ways in which elders past and present care for and continue to consider how best to serve country. On the pod today is Millie from Four Paws Dog Training. Millie is wearing a few hats today. In the episode, she talks about recently becoming a mum, her work dog training, but also her role as a vet nurse at Midcoast Veterinary Clinic. Millie brings important topics to the table and her passion for animals is rousing. I think it would be fair to say that Millie's hopes for this episode that you learn something new and that the conversation encourages you to consider what goes on behind the scenes in different industries, specifically the challenges faced by those in the veterinary world. And this is a meaningful but happy conversation that I think you're going to love. So let's get started. Millie, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, thanks for having me. So tell me, who are you on any given day? So this question, like the answer to this really depends on who you ask. I like to consider myself as a jack of all trades at the clinic. Um, So you'll find me either at the front with my finest customer service voice, or you'll find me sort of at the back unpacking orders, making sure that the day is running to sort of like a schedule. But in between doing that, I, or when I'm not at the clinic. I'm a dog trainer, a wife, a dog mum, and now a human (laughs) mum. So tell me about your experience of becoming a human mum. So I've only been at it for four weeks today. It's one of those things that I also recommend that if you are having trouble to definitely try and reach out because there's lots of other mums that are struggling out there as well and you find out a lot of information from them that you probably wouldn't from like your medical professionals. So yeah, so that's also really good thing and something that I definitely did learn. I'm also really lucky that like I'm a go-go person and I thought becoming a mum that I would struggle with that but I've definitely got the right support so I can keep going with what I want to keep doing and keep the business alive, I suppose. So yeah, I'm really lucky. So how long have you been in the Nambucca Valley? I still live in Kempsey currently, but when you work six to seven days a week, you most well live at work. So I've been doing that for about eight years now. And one day I do definitely hope to move up here and there's some beautiful country out here, that's for sure. Mm. And what does a typical workday look like for you? So generally um, I'm leaving Kempsey nice and early. I get into the clinic, get sort of set up for the day. You never really know what you're going to walk into or what's going to come in when those doors open at 8.30. So it's always good to be prepared. So we do that and then of a Saturday. So generally I'm in the clinic from Monday to Saturday and then 
after hours and after we finish of a Saturday, I'm running my puppy preschool classes out of the clinics, so out of Maxville and the Urango clinics. And then of a Sunday, I'm doing classes uh, in Kempsey as well. So those classes, you never really know what you're going to get. Sometimes you get a class full of really quiet puppies that want to listen and want to get involved. And then other times you get those little naughty sort of puppies that can't pay attention and just want to run around and play. So Mm -hmm. that's always really interesting with trying to come up with a plan on how to get those classes running nice and smoothly. So I had one of those naughty puppies. (laughs) (laughs) She went all right, trust me. (laughs) So your dog training business is for paws. So can you tell me a little bit about what you do in your capacity? As as a trainer? Yeah, so Four Paws started around the same time that COVID hit. I had already been teaching puppy preschool out of the Maxwell Clinic for quite a a fair while. And then when COVID hit, everybody was getting puppies or we're finding in the vet industry even that there were some issues developing, like behavioural issues developing with some dogs because they had gone from not having owners at home to having owners at home 24-7. Yeah. Or the other thing that we were finding as well was people were getting new puppies. So older dogs weren't used to it. And now that COVID's over as well, we're finding that a lot of dogs haven't quite adjusted to actually having their owners go back to work or go back to like overseas holidays or trips. So that definitely always keeps us busy, um, both with four paws and in the clinic with that behavioural side of stuff. But yeah, as I was saying, so four paws started around the same time that COVID hit and we're running classes out of the Maxwell Clinic. And then we took over the classes at the Uranga Clinic as well. So I found this and took this as the opportunity to actually ex extend the dog training side of stuff and I've always had a passion for dog training and behavior so I decided to open up four paws and that allowed me to actually run uh, puppy preschool classes like in Kempsey as well as the Urunga and the Maxville area and I started doing a cert for in animal behavior and training so that's something that I will have completed in December this year so what that is is it's a two-year course on pretty much dog behavior and training through the Delta Society and the Delta Society is probably one of Australia's top dog training facilities and society as like they call it. So I've been doing that. So that will set me up to be a proper professional dog trainer. So I'll be able to take on more one-on-one cases. I'll be able to do um, proper behavioral consults while I can't sort of prescribe medications or anything. I can pass that side on to a Um, a local vet that can prescribe medications. So I'm looking forward to being able to work with the local community to try and hopefully get quite a few of those problemed dogs, as people see them as problem dogs, sort of under control so that everybody can be happier with their animals. We'll also be offering older classes as well, where at the moment we sort of just do puppy preschool, but we've just started to do one-on-one lessons and some older behavioural in obedience classes. So that would be really good. Mm. What are some of the issues that you find in older dogs? 
So this is something, it varies. So for older dogs, you could have those dogs that haven't been socialised correctly as puppies. So dogs that haven't been socialised correctly could look like dogs that are reactive. So will bark or will growl or will sort of lunge towards other dogs, other people when they're out and about. Some dogs are reactive in that sense of they hear a noise or they see something that they don't like and they actually run away from it rather than going towards it. So you like dogs just like humans have that fight or flight mode. So they they go on how they feel and what they've been exposed to. So if you're constantly being exposed to something that you don't find positive, same with dogs, they're going to react or you're going to react in a way that makes you feel safe. So that could be running away or that could be running towards it. So that's where that fight or flight mode comes in. Other things could look like like separation anxiety. So separation anxiety is quite common in certain breeds, but it's also very common in dogs that haven't actually been left alone. So in my classes, I teach that it is actually really important to teach your puppy to be okay to be left alone because some dogs they can't be out of their owner's sight so it could look like the owner walks to the bathroom and the dogs are screaming the door down trying to scratch through the door because they're not used to being left alone other behavioral issues could be like storm phobias the list could literally go on and on so Mm. yeah so if people ever notice any behavioural changes or any challenging behaviours with their dogs, it's always good to sort of get in contact with like either a vet clinic or a dog trainer or a behaviourist to get on top of that. So tell me about your time working at the clinic. When did you start and um, um, what has that experience been like? Yeah, so I've been at the clinic now for eight years and when I started I knew pretty much nothing. So I had done a two, uh, it was a 12-month course but now it's a two-year course which is a cert for in vet nursing. So if anybody is interested in going down the path of vet nursing there is online courses but I would really recommend to sort of do it on campus. So I'm pretty sure up at Coffs Harbour and maybe at Warhope still do that. You've got to do a few basic courses beforehand, but once you get into that, it's a two-year course and you need to have work placement to be able to actually learn on the job as well. So I did that, would have been about nine years ago, um, started vet nursing eight years ago, and I sort of figured vet nursing as such wasn't for me, um, especially the surgical side of it. Uh, So I do definitely take a a very particular interest in the medical side of it. But at the moment, I've sort of started to focus on my behaviour and training. So while I'm still in the field, I'm not hands-on as much as I used to be. So, But I've definitely seen some interesting stuff in that time. Mm. I want to talk about some of the the challenges that you've experienced, but I just I want to ask you why the surgical side wasn't for you because I feel like there might be a story there. Uh, no, not really any story. Um, I suppose it's more my confidence side of it. You're literally dealing with life and death. So it's somebody's animal on the table. If you don't have the skills or the confidence behind you, yeah, you're not doing it right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I just found that that wasn't particularly for me because I couldn't bear the thought. And it probably makes me a good nurse and a good anaesthetic monitor, as people would always say, but I could not bear the thought of losing somebody's animal under an anaesthetic at my own fault. So mm. I sort of took the step back and gave that to the people that are a little bit more gutsy and having more knowledge than me. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. 
So obviously that's one challenge, but tell me about some of the other challenges of working with animals and and their humans. So I find the worst and the hardest thing about working in the animal industry is the lack of understanding and knowledge that owners or humans in general actually have. So this could be the lack of knowledge of when it comes to treatments or even if we go back to that behavioural side, a lot of people don't understand what a dog is feeling or why a dog is doing something. People would go, oh, my dog's naughty, it pees inside. Well, no, it doesn't understand that going outside is where you want it to go to the toilet. Um, A lot of people would classify dogs as being aggressive or dangerous dogs, but they don't actually stop and look at why that dog could actually be doing it. So there's a lot of reasonings behind why dogs will be reactive or why they will actually appear aggressive. But if we talk about sort of more of like the veterinary medical side of it, we see quite a lot of people that will try and sort of like self-medicate at home or they will try and put off treatments. And that can be really challenging because we're then left with something to sort of pick up the pieces of and try and fix when it's probably should have been seen two days ago rather Mm. than now. So I do find that that is quite challenging because they don't understand or they actually don't have the knowledge to know that if you notice that your dog, uh, let's say, cut itself on a piece of tin, don't just try and treat it at home. Get it to a vet to get that assessed to see if it needs to be stitched, to see if it needs medications. We do find that one of the things around here would be like goanna bites or dog bites. And a lot of people will try and treat them at home, but sometimes, like generally with goanas and dogs, they need antibiotics. And sometimes you can have an animal come in that has been bitten by a dog or been bitten by a goanna two or three days ago and the wound is so infected that Mm. it's quite a process to try and treat. Yeah. Mm. And ends up costing them more money too. Yes, that is a very good point. Generally, if you can get something in sooner, it's a lot cheaper and easier to treat. Mm. How do you deal with the loss of animals under those circumstances? Because it must be quite frustrating and, and, and obviously, you know, saddening to, to know that, you know, some things could have been prevented. That is one of the hardest parts about the job is having an animal come in that could have and should have had treatment and either it's been elected to not do treatment on it because of financial issues or because it's been left to the point where it's going to be quite an extensive lot of treatment and a lot of hard work on the owner's behalf. So that that is something that is very, very challenging in the in the industry, definitely, is having something that could be saved and not being able to save it because of financial issues or because the owner's left it for so long and it's actually too late. Mm. Those are the negatives. Let's talk about some of the rewards of working in the industry. There's a lot. So there's quite a few really good positive things. So this industry is something that there's so memorable, so many memorable um, sort of cases. So you'll have those ones that make you laugh, those ones that make you cry. I really love getting at the back and doing like C-sections. So C-sections are probably my most uh, enjoyed things. So going out and helping bring new life into the world. It is quite interesting how sometimes you've been the one that's just helped end a life 
and then you're back out the back doing a C-section with the girls. So it's definitely quite a, a change where you have to change that mood pretty fast. So other things that I love seeing is, so as I said before, I'm mainly at the front now instead of at the back, but I love watching those animals that have came in uh, really, really sick and pretty much on death door go home to their owners because of the work and the dedication of the vets and the nurses out the back and the owners. So like, I think sometimes we don't, like we don't give that good credit to owners as well, because there are some owners that will literally go above and beyond to be able to save their animals, which gives the vets and the nurses that power and those resources to be able to go above and beyond themselves to actually save stuff. So it's really nice to see those animals that come in really sick and then they do get to go home and the the way that their face lights up or the owner's face lights up when they go home is something that you'll always, always remember. The other things that I really love seeing are those puppies that have done puppy preschool and they come bursting through those doors. Like even though with your girl, she comes bursting in those doors and absolutely loves being at the vet clinic. So that's really good to see. Like I've got dogs that I did puppy preschool with seven years ago and they burst through those doors and they just love being there. (laughs) And... Is there something, you know, that's specifically memorable that stands out to you from your time in the clinic? So one particular case or? It can be multiple. As I said before, probably all those C-sections, like it's always really nice bringing those new lives into the world. I work with such an amazing team that if it's possible, they'll do it. So we've done things from plate goat's legs. Um, So we've had a few cases where we've had goats come in with broken legs that have been uh, people's pets. So we've done orthopedic surgeries on and put plates in. Yeah, that was pretty, pretty cool to see. I actually personally didn't have much involvement in this one, but we've recently just casted a uh, a steer. So everybody would really know what a steer is, but a male cow's leg like he broke it the owners are dedicated so we cast it so I'm hoping he's going really well still I have seen horses or foals have their bladders stitched back together in the clinic on the surgery table once again amazing team of vets did that um what are some other cool things I just have to ask because I feel like this is a question that's going to pop into people's heads do you have a table that's big enough for a horse (laughs) for a foal yes um, probably not for a uh, like a fully grown horse yet, but I have a feeling that the new clinic's going to have something along the lines mm-hmm. of that. So uh, when I did my work placement through TAFE, I did some hands-on with some uh, equine surgeries. Those tables are pretty big. You need a big room for that. Mm. Our little clinic is not quite that big at the <laughs> moment, but the new one definitely hopefully will be. So I think that's something that they'll look down um, the path of doing eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about the, and we, I guess we touched on this a bit earlier, some of the struggles of working in the veterinary world and in particular the hard things that you see and how that impacts mental health. It's, it's well known that there's an association between poor mental health outcomes and and the veterinary sciences. So what do you have to add to that kind of conversation that you feel is important for people to know? So a lot of people think about, uh, so when you mention, oh, I'm a vet nurse or I'm a vet, a lot of people think cute puppies, happy times, a good wage, eight to five, uh, lunch breaks, dressed all fine and fit and professional. But 
The beauty of this is that working in the vet industry results in it being the profession that has the highest rate of suicide. So the veterinary profession has the highest rate of suicide, especially in young vets. A lot of people don't see the years of uni, the hefty hex fees, uh, long days. So it's not eight to five. Mm. So it's definitely not. And half the time, well, I'm going to say 99% of the time you don't get a lunch break. And if you do, it's generally five minutes while you're writing notes or answering phone calls. By the time you get to eat your lunch, it's stone cold and then like you'll also get like those people that will message you for free advice which is fine but when they're your friends and family constantly messaging you going hey fluffy's got this sore what do what can I do with it it sort of becomes you constantly taking your work home with you and while we're in the vet industry because we love it and we want to help everything it becomes very tiring very tedious So there are just a few like those nice ways to actually explain why the vet industry has a highest rate of suicide. It's exhausting. And then you also get those times where you are literally physically and mentally abused by owners because you haven't been able to save the animal or they don't have enough money to do a surgery or to give treatment. And then that sort of becomes your fault. So they put that onto you to try and make you feel guilty, to try and make you do a treatment for half the price or to do like, they just go, they get frustrated, they get upset themselves. So they then try and put that onto you and make it your fault. And that is the hardest thing when you literally have an animal in front of you that needs help, but you can't give it because the client or the owner actually can't afford it or they can't commit to treatment. That is really, really hard on the industry. So it's something that a lot of people don't understand and that they don't actually see is that behind it. So mm. so what is the takeaway there for people? You know, is it people need to be more informed going into pet ownership? Is it that people need to, you know, I guess be educated on what happens behind the scenes in clinics? You know, what what is the takeaway here? I think a bit of both. So I think a lot of people, and I see it in puppy preschool, people go into pet ownership with buying this cute little puppy because it was cute and they haven't done the research of what the animal or what that breed actually needs care-wise. So there's some breeds out there that are really low maintenance care, but they might have a high drive for needing lots of physical exercise. So people then don't do that physical or mental stimulation. So the dog sits in the yard so the dog then becomes destructive and then the dog becomes a problem dog or you'll have those dogs that actually need a lot of medical care so I love my brachycephalics like I love my Frenchies I love my pugs but those dogs have a lot of medical needs straight up And a lot of people aren't aware of that. So those dogs are not designed to be able to breathe correctly. And a lot of people don't know that. So when they're, let's just say, so at a puppy vaccine, we'll say to them, hey, look, unfortunately, this dog is going to need airway surgery to be able to have it breathe correctly. That surgery is not cheap. And some people will say, I actually can't afford that. And we go, okay, we understand that. But then they might come in two years later down the track with that dog struggling to breathe or that that dog has sadly passed away because it has overheated and not being able to breathe. So there is a lot of lack of understanding of what animals actually need prior or what they need when people take them on. Like there's just no, there's no knowledge there. And I definitely think that there's not enough education. So 
event industry is so busy training animals that there's no one out there to actually educate owners or owners actually don't want to listen to what we have to say half the time as well, to tell you the truth. So that is a big thing. You can spend hours giving somebody advice and they go, oh yeah, well, blow Joe down the street said to do this. Okay. Listen to blow Joe. Mm, So yeah. Um, I want to talk about training and uh, some of the mistakes and, and the tips that you can give people, but what are your favourite breeds? Because obviously <laughs> you've just highlighted, um, you know, some breeds that have, have some some health struggles and, you know, there are a number of those, Dachshunds being one of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. No. <laughs> I have a Dachshund. Um, but let's talk about your favourite breeds. I really love boxers. So at the moment I have two big mixed bred dogs. I love them. But my dream dog really is a boxer. And yes, they come with multiple issues that are on their selves. Airway surgery being one that they will need. But they've just got that goofy sort of like playful attitude. I don't need a smart dog. I need a fun dog and that's them. So you can teach them quite a lot. But they've just, every time I think of a boxer, I think of those goofballs that just want to run around and play Mm. yeah so that's probably my favorite I do love those Frenchies because they're like like a cat they're a cat cross dog they've got that cute little like playful pounciness so they're probably two of my favorites around here we see a lot of cavoodles or poodle mixes so like your cavoodles and your labradoodles and like your working dogs as well so they're dogs that I work with quite regularly and they've all got their little sort of quirks and personalities too which are really nice to see yeah are there any animals that you struggle to work with like reptiles? I think that every dog, whether, so we try not breed specify as such because every dog's going to have their own issues regardless of what breed they are. So I suppose like you could have a Kelpie that is so over, like they've just got so much energy that they struggle to actually focus. Um, So that can sometimes be very challenging. And then other times you'll have a pug that is so food motivated that you can get them to do anything. So behavioral wise, anything's going to have a challenge. Veterinary medical wise, probably those brachies because they come with such a high risk of everything really so with those brachies for those anesthetics and that it's a you've got to be really on top of your game and brachy owners should know that as well so I'm not saying don't do a surgery on a brachycephalic but I'm saying like every animal and every breed comes with their challenges yep so let's talk about those challenges and how to overcome them what are some of the mistakes people make when training their dogs specifically? So I find a lot of people make the mistake of actually not putting themselves in that dog's shoes or that animal's shoes. So I teach everybody in my classes, how would you feel in this situation? So I teach my clients, put yourself in that dog's shoes. If you didn't like people, would you go to a crowd at the pub and like go party with them? No. So why put a dog that doesn't like other dogs or doesn't like being in crowds in the middle of a crowd. It happens all the time. And that's how we end up with so many issues and so many negative sort of um, breeds that are labelled as aggressive and reactive. It's not the breed, it's that dog on its own. 
Mm. So a lot of people don't have sort of the knowledge, I suppose, to remember, okay, how would I feel in this situation? A lot of people don't have the patience and the persistence or the time either. So dog training isn't something that you teach a dog to sit once and it remembers. That dog may not know how to sit or may not learn how to sit for two or three weeks. It's something that you have to keep doing. And a lot of people don't want to put the effort in to have to train every single day. They want to do it once or twice and have that dog know what it's doing. Mm. Um, my favourite thing was I actually had a client say to me, oh, I thought we'd be jumping through hula hoops by now in my <laughs> classes. I was like, your dog can't even sit. So no, we'll leave the hula hoops out for now. So you've got to start with your basics. So you start from the ground up, take your time, put the persistence in, uh, put the effort in, and you're going to get a dog at the end that actually has that connection with you. So it's not about having a well-trained dog. It's about having a dog that actually has a connection with you. Because if you have a dog that doesn't trust you or doesn't look at you for reassurance, you've got nothing pretty much. Mm. So that's the biggest thing that a lot of people forget is the time spent with the dog, the, the persistence and the effort. Yeah. So can you, can you give us three simple tips for training? So my three simplest tips would be your patience and persistence. So be patient, be kind, take your time with them, but don't give up. So keep doing something until they do nail it. And then even when they do nail it, keep going with it. Like you can't run on a treadmill for 12 months straight and then not do it for 12 months and your body remember how to do it. I know I wouldn't remember how to do it, but a lot of people don't don't sort of remember that, that you've got to have that repetition to be able to get the final answer. Lower your expectations. So a lot of people think and want this dog that can literally jump through hula hoops. Not every dog is capable of that. Some dogs are just capable of your basic sit and drop, if that, and they just want to be your friend. They just want to enjoy life. If you're constantly hounding them to do something, they're not going to enjoy it. You're going to end up with a nervous wreck that is waiting for that next command, and that's not what you want. Some Mm. people sort of want that dog that can do anything, and that's fine, but maybe the dog that you have isn't for you then if that's the case and put yourself in your dog's shoes or in that situation think about how would I feel if this was me so they're my top three training tips great so if people want to contact four paws how can they get in touch with you uh, so you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, or you can pop into one of the Midcoast Vets vet clinics, so either the Maxwell, Nambaka or Uranga clinic, and pick up one of our cards, or check with the lovely reception staff for my contact details, and they'll kindly give them to you. Great. Thank you so much for joining me, Millie. No, thank you for having me. It's been a really interesting conversation. Yeah, always. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Valley Hub Stories podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. Reach out and let us know what you think on our socials at thevalleyhub underscore NV or contact us on info at thevalleyhub.com.au if you'd like to share your story. Until next time, stay warm and go well.